everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Crash Carts. We missed you, our little deep fibs. We're your hosts, Jessica. I'm Lila. Sarah. And Taylor. Today, for our seventh episode, we have an exciting segment, including a Q&A, where we will get to have all of your questions emailed to us and answered appropriately. Today's episode will focus on a pediatric congenital heart disease called Tetralogy of Fellow. We will also be referring to this as TOF for the rest of the episode. We have a guest caller from a girl who had surgery when she was little to address her condition, and we'll discuss her experiences with it and how she's been since then. So stay tuned for that. Don't worry for anyone who is not familiar with TOF. We have a brief crash course for you provided by one of our local physician assistant students, Brandon. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be able to speak on this topic. My name is Brandon, and I'm a PA student at South University. I am personally familiar with this condition because my daughter, Caroline, who will also be guest starring on this segment, had Tetralogy of Fallow, or TOF. I will share my knowledge with everyone to ensure we are all familiar with the disease before she comes on. To start us off, Tetralogy of Fallow is the most common cyanotic congenital heart disease. A cyanotic congenital heart disease describes a defect in an individual's heart that results in systemic venous blood bypassing pulmonary circulation and causing a baby to present with cyanosis or blue discoloration of the skin. A finding associated with TOF in specific would be a TET spell. These are caused by anything that would increase the O2 saturation like crying, feeding, or defecating. Children will oftentimes pull their knees up to their chests in order to increase SVR which increases the left-to-right shunt, ultimately forcing more blood to circulate through their lungs. Risk factors for developing TOF include early gestational genetic changes, chromosomal abnormalities like Down syndromes or DeGeorge, or teratogen exposure such as alcohol or even hyperglycemia. There are quite a few defining characteristics that set TOF apart from other conditions. There is an acronym, DROP, which identifies specific conditions to TOF. D is for defect, which represents ventricular septal defect, R for right ventricular hypertrophy, O for overriding aorta, and P for pulmonic valve stenosis. Your healthcare provider will order a chest x-ray where the heart can have a defining boot-shaped heart appearance, which has an upward pointing cardiac apex and right ventricular hypertrophy. An echocardiogram will also be ordered to address the anatomy and severity of the heart obstruction. When your healthcare provider performs a physical exam, a loud or harsh systolic ejection murmur, sometimes with a thrill, will be heard at the left sternal border due to the pulmonary valve stenosis characteristic of tetralogy of fallow. Now it's time for a quick break from one of our sponsors. Are you feeling anxious because all you do is study? Are you feeling depressed because your grades aren't all 100s despite all of your hard work? We have a solution for you. Register for a free counseling appointment with a licensed counselor through Be Well at South. Be Well features 24-7 access to expert counselors, and all you have to do is call. Call 833-434-1217 to discuss any problem at any point in your day. Now that everyone has a general understanding of the background of TOF, let's hear from Caroline, who is willing to share her story and her battle with TOF. 
Thank you, Lila, for the introduction. Like Lila said, my name is Caroline, and I was born with Tetralogy of Fallot. I'm going to talk today about some of the symptoms I experienced after I was diagnosed, which was at birth, and the time frame between that and before I had surgery, and also how my life is affected now. At birth, um, the first sign that my parents noticed was that I was cyanotic or blue in both the lips and in the fingers, and I had episodes where my skin would turn this bluish pale color and this would happen when I would either cry or eat. And right before my surgery, I experienced something for the first time known as a tet spell. And Brandon addressed it a little bit earlier, but this is due to pulmonic flow obstructions. And these could be triggered by anything that has the ability to decrease my oxygen saturation or increase the shunting from right to left, which is the cyanotic shunt. My dad told me um, I would squat and put my knees to my chest when I was experiencing tet spells. And at six months old, I had major surgical repair and I was told by my cardiologist that I will need additional surgery in the future. And that would probably be around my late teens or early twenties. And after my repair, I am now able to exercise and actually live a pretty normal life. I visit my cardiologist at least once a year um, to make sure I have good heart health still. And also because I have a risk of heart complications in the future. I am very grateful to the amazing medical team that allows me to have the normal life I have today. And thank you all for inviting me on your podcast. Thank you, Caroline, for sharing your story and allowing our listeners to hear from you. And I hope this can let others who have experienced something similar know that they're not alone. Now, I wanted to bring up more on the type of surgeries people with TOF may have to undergo. To start off, let's talk about why infants um, need to have this surgery. So babies born with TOF need the surgery so that their heart can pump enough oxygen-rich blood to their bodies, which they aren't getting at this moment. The timing of the surgery can vary depending on the severity of the narrowing of the pulmonary valves. So the main surgery they get is a complete TOF repair. The earlier this procedure is performed, the lower the occurrence of harmful effects and the greater the chances of cardiorespiratory recovery. This systematic review suggests that the best time to perform definitive corrective surgery for TOF in the first year of life is during three to six months of age in children with no or mild symptoms. Children with severe symptoms should undergo surgery immediately. Surgery during three to six months of age is very well tolerated, with little development of restrictive physiology, minimal need for prolonged ventilation time, and no development of ascites. The deaths reported were of patients with primary repair after 12 months of age, so after one year. They also state that neonates repair does not appear to be the best strategy because of greater development of physiological restriction, higher incidences of stroke, and in general, longer mechanical ventilation and ICU strength, uh, length of stay. Now, going on to other types of surgeries, that first one I brought up was that complete TOF repair, which, as we learned, is best when they're around three to four months. This surgery patches the hole in the wall between the child's lower two heart chambers, the ventricular septal defect, and also relieves the blockage in your child's narrowed pulmonary valve, so more oxygen-poor blood can now flow from the heart to the lungs and become oxygenated. Now, another surgery is a temporary shunt surgery. This is if a baby is not large enough to those neonates for a complete repair or has additional medical problems. We can raise the oxygen in your blood with a temporary shunt surgery. 
With that new path, the shunt, the blood can now go directly to your baby's lungs and increase the oxygen level. Now, another surgery is called a pulmonary valve replacement. This is when your child may need a pulmonary valve replacement in their teens or adulthood to make their heart work better and make it easier to do physical activities. The most frequent problem that occurs after TOF repair is pulmonary backflow or leakage of the pulmonary valve. That backflow of the tricuspid valve and aortic valve can also occur. Surgery is needed to repair and replace the leaking valve, and that's why later in life they'll get the pulmonary valve replacement. To conclude our episode, we will be answering some questions sent in via email by you guys, our listeners. The high influx of questions we received is what prompted this episode, so we thank you all for staying curious. To start off, we have our first question sent in by Maya Goes number two. The question reads, will my child be restricted from normal physical activities after surgery? So uh, to answer this question, if your child has TOF and has received a completed surgery without any sort of leftover obstruction, there is a minimal risk for any activity restriction. In some cases after surgery, there is a leftover obstruction. Your child will need to limit some vigorous physical activity in that case. Our next question is from Stingray83SU asking, will my child still have symptoms if they undergo surgery? The answer to this question would be a majority of patients will be symptom-free for two decades after the surgery. After the second decade, some people may experience symptoms if they have severe pulmonary valve insufficiency. If this occurs, an individual may experience symptoms of palpations, gradual decline in body function, and lack of exercise endurance. As brought up before, the pulmonary valve replacement is available to aid in this. The next question is from at Jess's scooter. She asked, is surgical intervention the end-all be-all for curing TOF? While surgery is imperative, it does not correct the anatomics changes of the right ventricle of the heart, such as right ventricular hypertrophy and pulmonary vessels. This is why if patients do undergo corrective surgery, they will most likely present with symptoms later in life. For our next question, at Ninja Nerd Lover asks, what does TOF look like as an adult after surgery? Oh, Taylor, that's a great question you found. Yeah, um, that's a great question, you know, that was sent in because most people tend to think about what it will look like as a child rather than the adult presentation. Well, the answer is long-term adult survival is excellent after a surgical repair. Most adults have normal activity levels, appetite, and normal growth will eventually return to normal. The vast majority of patients will live regular lives for 30 to 40 years after surgery. As an adult, those with TOF are at greater risk for arrhythmias, of which we will cover in our next podcast episode, as that is a part of our second unit of cardiology. Arrhythmias, depending on their nature and severity, can be managed either pharmaceutically or via a pacemaker. So stay tuned for next week if you're ready for that information. And to add on to what Taylor said, um, patients with the history of TOF have a higher risk for endocarditis, so they'll need to be treated prophylactically with uh, antibiotics, such as oral amoxicillin. Um, amoxicillin has been shown to be effective in reducing bacteremia related to dental procedures. They also exhibit myocardial damage, pulmonary incompetence, and aortic dilation. In addition, cerebral damage may present as cognitive, psychosocial, and behavior deficit decline, which can affect a patient's quality of life long-term. And now for an additional break from one of our sponsors.
Have you checked your castle branch lately? It is important to remain up to date with all of your vaccinations as we are approaching flu season. In order to be able to go on clinical rotations, all castle branch requirements must be complete. For reference, the castle branch website is www.castlebranch.com. Reach out to Shannon Schellenberg for any additional questions. Thanks. Another question from at Lover just asked, how often do patients have to follow up after surgical repair? So individuals born with heart defects, such as TOF, need lifelong follow-ups with either a pediatric or adult congenital heart specialist. Arrhythmias or heart rhythm problems can happen after a complete repair, which is why there is a need for lifelong cardiology follow-ups. Most babies who are born with TOF do not need immediate surgery or treatment. You should be able to take your baby home soon after birth, but in most instances, your baby will need surgery to repair the defect during the first year of life, usually between four and six months of age. Our last question of the day is from at room is appropriately lit. They just asked, if my baby with known TOF is visibly blue, what should I do? That's a very important question. To answer that, if your baby becomes blue or also known as cyanotic, It is important to place them on his or her side and pull their knees up to his or her chest. This helps increase blood flow to the lungs. And remember to call 911 or your local emergency number if you are concerned your child's color is not improving. We have five review or practice questions for you to test your knowledge on the information we went over today. Remember, as always, to pause and test your knowledge prior to hearing each question's answer. To start off the questions we have, what is the most common cyanotic congenital heart disease and what are its four components? So the most common cyanotic congenital disease is TOF, which is the premise of this podcast. Um, It involves a right to left atrial shunt where systemic venous blood bypasses pulmonary circulation. And the acronym we have for TOF is DROP, where um, it reminds us of its components. So we have D that stands for ventricular septal defect, R for right ventricular hypertrophy, O for overriding aorta, and P for pulmonary valve stenosis. The next question is, what would you see on a chest x-ray for TOF? Pause again and take a moment to think about the answer to this question. The answer is a chest x-ray will show a boot-shaped heart. The toe of the boot is formed by the upward pointing of the cardiac apex. Our next question is, what murmur is heard with TOF? I'll give you a minute to answer. The murmur is a loud or harsh systolic ejection murmur that can be heard at the left sternal border. For our fourth question, what is the average age of surgery for a child with TOF? Average age would be three to six months old, but remember, this is patient-dependent and to always follow the recommendations of your physician. All right, and our last question we have is what would an EKG show for someone with TOF? All right, so an electrocardiogram would show right ventricular hypertrophy with right axis deviation. Great work, everyone. As always, we thank you guys for tuning into Crash Carts, and we thank all of our sponsors for today's episode. We hope you're able to learn something new today. Stay tuned for next week as we start our second cardiology unit with arrhythmias. And don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe to be a part of our DFib community. Bye, little DFib. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.